In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Today's lessons connect forgiveness with healing. The paralyzed man was able to rise and walk because his sins were forgiven. This reflects the larger biblical perspective that all sickness results from the fall of man or from sin. Thus, our healing will begin always, our bodily healing even, with forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. One might ask if forgiveness of sins leads to healing, why doesn't all of our sickness go away once we experience forgiveness of our sins in Christ? Forgiveness of sins does promise complete bodily restoration in the resurrection on the last day. That is why we, quote, look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. However, in this life, as St. Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We bear the glory of God in weak and mortal bodies. And as with Christ, bodily death is a necessary step on the pathway to resurrection. The healing we experience in this life through prayer and the sacrament of unction is a taste in the present moment of this future resurrection glory. just as communion at the altar that we receive in the present moment is a taste of that future banquet in heaven. Even when unction does not result in complete physical healing, unction still works. It sanctifies our suffering by connecting it to our future hope. God grants healing miracles for two basic reasons. They are signs of God's presence and power that bear witness to the truth of the gospel, and they are God's mercy to those who suffer. When God does not answer the prayer for healing, the affliction is meant to further our growth in holiness. As God said to St. Paul when Paul was not healed, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The epistle also connects healing and forgiveness, but in a slightly different way. It exhorts us to put off the old man and to put on the new man. This getting dressed language is a reference to baptism. In the ancient rite of baptism, a candidate would disrobe before entering the water and put on a new garment afterwards. Thus, the epistle is an exhortation to live in the light of our baptism. The epistle contrasts the behavior of the old pre-baptismal man with the behavior of the new man in Christ. Don't lie, but speak the truth to those you come in contact with. 
don't let your anger get the best of you, but reconcile before the day is over. Don't steal, but engage in honest labor so that you may earn your own living and have something to give to those who are in need. Don't have a foul mouth, but let what you say edify those who are around you. Put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, even as you have been forgiven by God. The gospel provides a useful image for understanding this behavioral change. The behavior of the old man is a kind of paralysis that results from sin. We cannot walk or live as we ought because we are captive to sin and sinful patterns of behavior. As we experience forgiveness in Christ, we are able to rise up and walk or live in a new way. We are set free to serve God. We are set free to love. For both the old and the new man, behavior is an outward manifestation of one's inward state of mind. The old man had his understanding darkened because he was alienated from the life of God through ignorance. And he behaved in accordance with that darkened understanding. <clears throat> Consequently, to put on the new man, we must be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Darkened understanding and ignorance must be overcome by the revelation of God in Christ, which is received by repentance and faith. This is crucial. It is only because we have come to know God that our minds have been open to see the reality of the kingdom of God with all of its implications for all the various aspects of our lives, that our behavior begins to change. Outward behavioral change is dependent upon this inward renewal of the mind. If our minds are not renewed, the behavioral change will be temporary, sporadic, or incomplete. We may stop doing things for external reasons because we don't want people to think we're bad or because we're afraid of the consequences of getting caught. If our motive for good behavior is only external, we will only behave well when the external motivator is present. Our internal motive for doing what is right can also be faulty. Many religious people attempt to do what is right not because they know the love of God and want to serve him, but because of internal feelings of guilt, shame, and fear. This is why the renewing of the minds is the biggest challenge in the life of prayer. The problem is 
that at some inner level, we don't really believe the gospel. Yes, we recite the creed, say amen, and make the sign of the cross. Yes, we receive the promise of forgiveness and the grace of the sacrament. But at some inner level, our yes is always punctuated by a but. Thus, a person will receive the sacrament, the sign of God's favor, and the statement of the value he places on each of us. And then go back out into the world and struggle with feelings of being worthless. The world, the flesh, and the devil conspire to undermine the truth of God. Feelings of being worthless return and take over, and worthless behavior results. This can also happen in the other direction. As we kneel before the altar of God, we learn the proper sense of humility. We learn to be thankful and generous rather than proud and arrogant. But as we resume life in the world, the enemies tempt us to overvalue ourselves on the basis of worldly criteria like appearance and wealth, and not on the basis of faithfulness and virtue. The Christian life, the life of prayer, is a struggle to fully integrate our Christian identity into all areas of our life. When we remember who we are by virtue of our baptisms, when we remember that our sins are forgiven, the Spirit lives within us, and our destiny is resurrection and life, we are set free to rise up and live in a new way. But when we forget the grace of forgiveness, the gifts we've been given, and the goal of life, we drift back into a manner of life that has lived only according to the flesh and only to pursue the things in this world. This is why the epistle exhorts us to continually put off the old man and put on the new. The change that begins in baptism will not be completed in one grand moment of resolve. Rather, our Christian identity takes ever deeper root within us through habitual acts of remembrance over time. Thus, we gather each Sunday at the altar to remember again who we are, to put off the old man again by confessing our sins and offering ourselves to God with Christ, and to put on the new man again by experiencing again the grace of forgiveness and the gift of new life in the sacrament. We practice daily prayer because we need to remember every day Every day, we need to put off the old man and put on the new man through confession and a renewed experience of forgiveness. Over time, through habitual remembrance, 
our minds are more and more renewed. We become acclimated to our new clothes. In this life, we always need to be exhorted to remember who we are and act accordingly. Thus, Jesus says to each of us again today, your sins are forgiven, rise and walk. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.